Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good afternoon and welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Saturday, August 5th, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined by Jared Pine of A Second Serve, a bonus matinee edition of Replay the Point. Good afternoon, Jared. Good afternoon, Pete. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing well, doing well. It's been a little while since you and I have had a show, so uh, uh, some some items to catch up on before we talk about what's going on uh, smack dab in the middle of the hardcourt season. But we're going to start off talking about Novak Djokovic, Jared, who, uh, you know, obviously is done for the year in 2017. Tough decision for him, his fans, his camp, but uh, doing really the right thing in uh, not playing. I, obviously, his body is not allowing him to play. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting thing for Djokovic because if you think about it, it's the first time he's ever taken a break like this really in his life since he first picked up a tennis racket. Uh, this is going to be a long time stepping away from tennis. Um, a good chance to reset himself physically and mentally. Um, I, I think he definitely needed this. The elbow issue was definitely building up. I didn't realize just how bad it was until Wimbledon came around. So taking the time to take care of that elbow issue, I think it's going to be huge for him uh, and definitely something necessary as well. I completely agree. And uh, you know, some family time right now for Novak as well. And as we've talked about uh, pretty tirelessly on this show, He's maxed out almost every event he's entered for the last six years, Jared, uh, getting deep into tournaments, uh, playing on the weekends, almost everything that he's entered, uh, a very full schedule. And, uh, sure, I don't think a lot of people realized how bad the injury was, but uh, there it was, and uh, enough to put him on the sideline. But, again, some family time coming up for the Djokovic's uh, for the rest of this year. And, again, the blueprint, if you will, uh, that Federer had laid down last year when he was unable to go for the rest of the year, uh, comparable time frame. And obviously we've seen Rafael Nadal take patches of the season off as well because his body wasn't able to let him go either. Yeah, I think we have a tendency to see a lot of things through that Federer prism. But, you know, there are lots of players that have done this. I think there's something that was necessitated by injury more so than just copycatting what Roger Federer did, which is what some people are suggesting. I think Rafael Nadal's the one that really started this, if anyone. You look at what he took a long break in 2012, and then in 2013 missed the Australian Open and still had one of the best years of his career. Um, so he was really kind of the first one to do it. Even Serena Williams has done this. Um, so this isn't something that Federer invented. But, yeah, we've seen Federer this year have a lot of success as a result of a break, and now Djokovic is taking a break, and he's going to be hoping for similar success. Yep, and uh, just let's fast forward, if you will, uh, with all due respect to all the tennis that we're going to see in 2017. The Australian Open has been the best tournament uh, of majors for Novak Djokovic uh, uh, over the years. He has certainly excelled there. As uh, someone who follows Djokovic quite a bit, Jared, uh, 
obviously it remains to be seen how his health is, but uh, your your immediate expectations, if you will, for, for next January in Sydney, are, are you expecting him to uh, just fly out of the gate and perhaps even win the Australian Open? Yeah, so it sounds like he's going to play a tune-up event before then. Um, the last few years he's played Doha, so wouldn't be surprised to see him back there, or maybe he'll pick an event that's actually in Australia. Um, but then by the time he gets over to Melbourne, I think that's a great place for him to make a comeback, particularly to to get rid of that memory of what happened with Istaman last year. Um, I think that will be huge for him. And then, yeah, he's certainly capable of making a run. That will be the first real test. Up until then, it's going to be all speculation. Then when we see him get through the first week of the Australian Open, then we'll have a real sense of what we can expect from Djokovic for the rest of 2018. Yeah, I like that uh, parallel quite a bit. And um, going to shift over to Roger Federer, Jared, who uh, you know announced uh, I, I, he was always going to play Cincinnati in the U.S. Open and then uh, sort of decide uh, going forward. But I'm, I'm really surprised that he's deciding and has decided to play Canada uh, this coming week in Montreal. He's not played there since 2011. Um, obviously, he likes to get places early. He's won Cincinnati seven times uh i thought that maybe he would have gotten into cincy very early to get used to the conditions but uh obviously he's not played tennis since uh, since winning uh wimbledon jared and uh obviously fed uh, knows what's best for him but still a little bit of a surprise uh, for me that he's going to play two masters back to back leading into new york yeah it definitely is an interesting decision um two masters back to back is really one of the most physically demanding things in tennis so that that is um, a surprising decision for him to make. Canada is also a unique tournament in that it bounces back and forth between Montreal and Toronto. Um, so the last time he was in Montreal was 2011. A lot of players do have a preference between Montreal and Toronto. They have one that they like better than the other. So Federer's essentially only missed Montreal twice. He's missed in 2013, 2015, and now he's back in 2017. So um, perhaps there are just specific uh, occurrences that happened in 2013, 2015 that prevented him. And now this year, he just had no reason to skip it. Uh, he's playing great tennis as well. He's um, winning every big event that he plays in. So why not add more big events to the calendar? Uh, good call. And, uh, uh, yep. And uh, looking at Rafael Nadal, Jared, uh, this one sort of crept up on me. He can regain the world number one if he reaches the semifinals in Canada, a little bit of a surprise, but sure, we look at the earlier part of the year, and he just lost to Federer at the Australian Open uh, in Wells, Miami, and obviously dominated yet again on clay. Um, but uh, still, the, the numbers, the way they are, obviously Murray having uh, everything to defend. Uh, we're talking about him in just a second, everything to defend going forward. But, uh, yeah, not Nadal, if he has a good enough showing, world number one, um, I Again, this one crept up on me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going into Wimbledon, there were four players that had a shot at reaching the world number one ranking. Murray, who was already the number one, and the other three were Nadal, Vavrinka, and Djokovic. And obviously all four of them performed poorly at Wimbledon by their own standards. And so kind of by default, Murray stayed there. Um, but with every tournament, Nadal was getting closer and closer uh, Murray came in defending 2,000 points, failed to defend that. So even though Nadal didn't have a great tournament, he did gain a lot of ground on Murray there. And so that puts him in a really good position where uh, I think definitely this week we can expect him to get to number one. If not, it'll happen at Cincinnati. Yeah, good call there. And uh, Andy Murray, 
last year at this time, Jared uh, was uh, was in the Olympics on his way to defeating Del Potro for Olympic gold. Uh, this year, Andy Murray not playing Canada. Let's not forget last year, Canada was played before the Olympics and since he right after. But uh, Murray, you know, again, someone who was in a great deal of pain at Wimbledon um, announced that he's not playing Canada. It's, it, I think it's undecided. If he's going to play Cincinnati, uh, I would expect him to be there, being the warrior he is, and then obviously the U.S. Open. But, uh, again, kind of like Djokovic, uh, you can only go if your body allows you to go. And uh, we've seen Murray play through a lot, and uh, I'm just wondering if it isn't somewhat similar to Djokovic where, uh, you know, he's played not not necessarily the – Amount of tennis that Djokovic has played in the last six years, but uh, he had an absolute monster back end of 2016, um, really playing uh, a lot to uh, to get to world number one, which he's done and which he's maintained. But uh, I think uh, sort of like Djokovic, uh, different uh, body for Murray, but I think this is all caught up to him as well. Yeah, I definitely think there's a bit of that. Murray, it's an interesting situation that he's still number one in the world right now, yet he's fighting for qualification into the year-end finals. He still hasn't qualified for the event. There's a chance he can miss it. And if he keeps having to skip out on big events where there's lots of points at stake, um, there's a very good chance that he's not going to qualify for the year-end finals. So um, hopefully he is going to be there in Cincinnati and can perform well there because he needs to get his race ranking up at this point. Yeah, good call. And, and right after the Olympics, as I shared with you before we came on the air, Jared, uh, he won gold. He got all the way to the final in Cincy. Uh, a lot of people surprised he was playing deep into the tournament. They expected him to be knocked out or even uh, decide to walk over, if you will. But got all the way to the final where Chilich, uh, uh, red-hot Marin Chilich beat him. But I agree, uh, wouldn't that be something for Murray to uh, possibly not get to the year-end championships? And another uh, member that uh, of the big five, if you will, uh, Stan Varenka, defending U.S. Open champion, not going to play the U.S. Open, obviously then not seeing him this week in Canada, Cincinnati, big disappointment, knee issue. And uh, as Stan said, uh, you know, if I want to play as long as I want to play, this is an absolute necessary course. I'm, I'm done for the year. Uh, sad scenario, but at the same point in time, these guys are looking uh, for longevity at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good decision for him to look to the future. He he did, as as I mentioned, have a shot at the world number one at Wimbledon. Once he missed out on that, the, the odds of him getting to world number one were pretty low. So um, at this point, no reason to to beat himself up to try to get some ranking points. Uh, much better to reset for next year. And, you know, here's, here's a guy that's getting pretty close to the career Grand Slam. So I think that's going to be a big goal for him. He's going to be, want to be in good shape by the time Wimbledon comes around next year. Good call. And, uh, Jared, before we shift it over to uh, action that's happened the last couple of weeks and coming into uh, Canada, anything else uh, from the uh, big four slash five that you'd like to elaborate on? Well, 2017 just continues to be uh, one of the weirdest years. It feels like a throwback to 2007 um, where Murray and Djokovic really weren't much of a figure yet, and it was just uh, the Nadal-Federer rivalry. Those two are still winning every big tournament. They haven't played each other a ton yet this year. They did a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, It'd be great to see them match up against each other a couple times during this U.S. Open run. Um, So that, that would be a great thing for tennis and um, it's been so much fun just to see these two really have a resurgence this year. 
Well, good call. I like that a lot, and uh, we'll talk about them in just a little bit when we're previewing Montreal. But uh, peeling it back a couple weeks, Jared, John Isner uh, won a pair of 250s. He won the Grass Court Tournament Hall of Fame in Newport, and then again in Atlanta. He won two titles in eight days. Uh, and uh, Newport, a uh, little bit of an asterisk, if you will. I think uh, the, the highest-ranking player he beat there was, I think, number 203, uh, a waltz, if you will, for John Isner. Still, he, he beat everybody that uh, showed up to play. And then again in Atlanta, he won that one. So um, he did. Uh, he was entered into Washington, obviously playing, maximizing those two tournaments. He cited something and didn't play Washington. I get that all the way. And, uh, Jared, his reward in in Canada will be none other than Juan Martin Del Potro. Uh, Isner, again, someone who, uh, when we take a look back at what Query did at Wimbledon, getting to the semifinals and, uh, you know, quarters at least two years in a row at Wimbledon for Query, he did one better at the semis. And uh, John Isner, you look at his body of work in his career, one quarterfinal in a major. That was at the U.S. Open a number of years ago. But you have to think he's brimming with confidence and might be able to go on some kind of run on the hard courts. And guess what? He's got Del Potro out of the gate. I think this could be a, a very interesting barometer for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is the time of year where we expect John Isner to do well. He's won two tournaments. Uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, he had to skip D.C., so we'll see what he does here. It is a tough draw in Canada. Um, Cincinnati is actually in the United States, so that's the tournament that I'm really looking at where I think he could do very well. Uh, that tournament's known for its faster courts, which will serve him well with the big serve, uh, making that even more effective. Also, we've mentioned a lot of players skipping out in that tournament. Murray questionable, Chilich questionable. And so when you look at the draw there, I think Federer's the only player that Isner just doesn't match up well with. So if he can avoid Federer, um, I think there's a great chance for him to even take home the title. Uh, he's reached, I believe, two Master Series 1000 finals, and one of them was in Cincinnati. So mm-hmm. I, I really look at him as a contender for the title this tournament, which, you know, he's he's come in as a dark horse to win some of these tournaments before, but, but now we're looking at him as potentially even one of the favorites, um, you know, within the top three or four likely people to win Cincinnati. So if, if he continues to play well, I think that's definitely in the cards. I completely agree, and uh, I think it's healthy to be pushed a little bit by some of his compatriots. Query uh, doing very well at, at Wimbledon. Uh, that may inspire John Isner to get back to the American number one and, and hold that, put it out of reach from some of these tra- challengers, if you will. And, Jared, sticking with the American theme, Tommy Paul, uh, someone that we've talked about on the show with the Young Guns, very interesting. Uh, held a match point on Kei Nishikori last night uh, in the second set. Could have won a straight sets victory. Didn't get it done. Lost the tiebreaker. Lost the third set. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Tommy Paul. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of a refresher. This is, again, someone that we've highlighted on our show previously. But uh, if you could, first off, uh, you know, I think he's 20 years old. Do you think that this uh, run at D.C., is this um, – a little bit maybe earlier than expected for someone like Paul. Is this just about right, or is this maybe later in the game? Or uh, where where would this stand uh, in taking the temperature of Tommy Paul right now? Yeah, so he's been on uh, tennis fans' radars for a few years now. Um, so this didn't come totally out of nowhere and, and probably would have expected a little bit sooner. He's had some injury issues that have slowed down his progress a bit. So because of that, I'd say it's, it's later than expected. But when you take into consideration – uh, the, the injuries that have, that he's had to face, uh, this is right on schedule for him. Uh, so this is very encouraging results, both what he's done 
and in D.C. and also in Atlanta had a nice run there to the quarterfinals. So uh, two really good tournaments in a row, kind of a nice way to wrap up a good summer for Tommy Paul. Sure, and if some uh, some people have not yet had a chance to see Tommy Paul play, Jared, who would who on tour would you be able to compare him to most? Uh, who does he match up with the most? Well, th- this one will surprise you, but I'm going to go with Nick Kyrgios. Obviously, he doesn't have the, the serve of Kyrgios, uh, but when you look at his, his ground stroke production, it's very similar. He he has stiff wrists on the backhand. It's just kind of a, an arm motion. And then the opposite on the forehand is very wristy. He just flicks the wrist and uh, can generate a lot of power that way. He also moves very well. He's willing to go forward. Um, the, the serve is the area where he he still has a lot of room to improve, but he does a nice job getting points started, and from there uh, he he can win points with the best of them. Obviously, Kane Ishikori, who's uh, from the baseline, is probably the best player in tennis right now. Yep, good call. I like that a lot, and uh, very good analysis there. And there you go, listeners. Tommy Paul, uh, if you haven't seen him play, as Jared uh, states here, comparable in some ways to Nick Kyrgios. And, Jared, we talked about Sam Querrey reaching the Wimbledon semifinals. Uh, this is someone who has said in the past, you know, I'm done playing 250s, I'm playing 500s and greater. Well, Sam Querrey elects not to play in D.C. a 500 in the United States, goes back down to Mexico where he's had a lot of success this year, is in the final, will play, surprisingly play, Thanasi Kokonakis, who beat Burdich yesterday. They've got a final uh, to, to be played today. But uh, Queria, in, in the, uh, on the way to the final, Jared, much earlier in the tournament, lost a set actually to American Evan King, which uh, I think would surprise a lot of people. And uh, a couple questions here. Your thoughts on Query's excellent play of late, and uh, how in the heck did King get a set off of him? <laughs> well, the second question is a lot tougher to answer. Uh, I mean, obviously Sam Query is someone whose biggest weapon is his serve which means you're going to have a lot of close sets that are determined by just um, – I, I really don't know how to answer that one, how he lost that set, but uh, great to see that he corrected course and has been playing some great tennis this week and really all summer, as you mentioned, that semifinal result in, at Wimbledon. Um, he, we've always known that Sam Query is capable of playing great tennis, and we've seen it at times, and really it's been several years, I'd say five or six, since we've seen him play like this where he's consistently doing well at tournaments. And so this has been really exciting to see. And then he'll play Kokonakis later tonight. Uh, that's about six or seven hours away. Um, but that'll be a really fun match to watch and see how he performs in a final down there in Mexico. Yep, and Kokonakis, someone who uh, recently, Jared, was talking about even walking away from the game. Um, interestingly enough, he, he did play the Olympics last year. A lot of people, if you remember a year ago, uh, a lot of people had health concerns about the Olympics, decided not to play, and Kokonakis was one of the guys who played. Uh, a lot of people, again, bailed on that. I'm, that's a question I'm going to ask some of the players in Cincinnati in a couple weeks' time, those that did go to the Olympics, if if there are any health issues or what you know what the deal was with uh, – with that, I think everybody's healthy. Who uh, I've never heard of any athlete in any sport who's had any lingering effects from participating in Rio. But uh, Kalkanakis was one of the few that uh, that did go down there. But interesting, intriguing final tonight against Query. And Jared, after years of not having a lucky loser win a tournament on the ATP Tour. We have lucky losers winning tournaments consecutive weeks. Nice stories. Uh, Leonardo Meyer beat Florian Meyer in the Hamburg 500, and then. 
someone that you're very high on, Andre Rublev, won as a lucky loser in Umag, Croatia. Yeah, it's uh, putting the lucky and lucky loser there. Um, you know, for those that don't know how this works, these are guys that lose in the qualifying stages of the tournament, and then they're basically put on a wait list. And if any player from the main draw pulls out, the lucky loser gets in. And the, the order of the wait list is all determined randomly, which is why it's called lucky. Um, so these guys are basically given second life, a tournament that they've already lost in. They're put back into the tournament and then two guys go all the way to the final. And so um, that, that explains why it's so rare and so hard to do. Um, this is a tournament you can't even beat guys that are struggling to get in, and yet then you go on to win the, the title. And so looking at both these guys, these are both great players, and Andre Rublev and Leonardo Meyer. Meyer definitely preferring the clay, and so to see him do this at Hamburg, not surprising, um, and pretty cool to see the two Myers go head-to-head mm-hmm. in the final, not related to each other, um, taking on Florian Meyer, who's actually playing in his home country. So Leonardo Myers had some great results on clay throughout his career, so that one's not surprising. And then Andre Rublev is a uh, sporadic young gun right now, and so uh, to see him bounce back from a loss, that one's not too surprising either just because of the style of play he has. Um, so really exciting to see. Rublev winning the tournament as well, just to see young guys having success and kind of taking up this uh, this next generation of tennis. We mentioned already how this has been a weird year where it feels like a flashback to 2007, not 2017. And so um, part of the reason for that is this generation of people pretty much from the age of Del Potro uh, down that have just not taken up the mantle. And so uh, we've been kind of waiting to see who's going to be the next guy that comes up to replace the Fetters and the Dolls. And uh, Andre Rublev is definitely a candidate to do that. So that's why it's so encouraging to see him having success at this point. Yeah, good call. And, you know, a few shows back you asked me uh, the question who who I think would have, uh, you know, the better career or uh, at least the next best couple of years would that be Kareem Kachanov or Andre Rublev, and I went with Kachanov. I think you went with Rublev, but uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, Kach- Rublev now has a title. Kachanov has, uh, has fared better in majors. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what these guys will do parallel side-by-side, side. almost, Jared, like it was a couple of years ago when in Cincinnati I got a chance to see uh, qualifier Alexander Zverev play Borna Chorich on grandstand, and uh, Zverev, had, Zverev had match points. Uh, actually, Chorich won the match, and again, I go back to it. I asked Rob Koenig who I thought uh, who he thought would have the better career, and without blinking an eye, he said Zverev, when in my opinion it was still neck and neck, and here we are, Alexander Zverev now, eight in the world. Chorich has had some uh, injury issues. He's hovering in the 50s, I believe, but uh, you know, last year, Borna Chorich beat back-to-back. He beat uh, Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal. So that was uh, – uh, he was playing exceptionally well, and he might get a rematch with uh, with Nadal in Canada next week. But, yeah, those, those are two that two that I really like to look at, the Zverev-Chorich parallel as well as uh, we'll keep tabs on Kachanov and Rublev. But um, looking at some of the tournaments coming up, obviously Canada is right around the corner, defending champion. Novak Djokovic will not defend that tournament. Cincinnati, which I'll be covering, Jared Marincilic, he's not playing Canada. Uh, Cincinnati still a question mark. And then the U.S. Open, the both finalists, uh, Vorenka and Djokovic, out of the U.S. Open. So uh, injuries continue to take their toll on the ATP Tour. 
Yeah, it's been a disappointing part of this year, obviously. Um, no one wants to see more injuries. And also one of the frustrating things that we, we've talked about before on this show is fans are left in the dark when there are injuries in tennis. It's very different from any other sport. When guys get injured, you don't know when they're playing with injuries. They're certainly not going to let on. And then uh, when they go off the tour, you never really know how long they're going to be gone, which has been one of the nice things about uh, Djokovic and Vavrinka both saying, hey, we're shutting it down for the rest of 2017 in 2018 so we at least have kind of a target date to look for we know when Australian Open 2018 comes around Djokovic and Vavrinka will be back um, something for fans to be excited about so that's much nicer than some of the times where Rafael Nadal has just disappeared and he's off the map and and we have no clue when he might reappear Um, so injuries are always a frustrating thing in tennis and then I think it gets made worse just the, the fact that the fans are constantly being left in the dark about it but uh so it's been a little bit different this year and so i've really appreciated that personally yeah i agree and you know we talked uh about cole schreiber winning uh, a tournament here uh today in uh in kitzbühel austria jared uh cole schreiber retired from a match last week and so yeah you get a retirement you never know if uh somebody's gonna be on the shelf for a while as you mentioned it's a it's a mystery in tennis unlike other sports where uh you know, obviously you have a, a very good idea of how long somebody's going to be out for at a minimum. Tennis, I mean, we've seen guys retire from a singles match and then play doubles that following day or even that evening. It, it's it's amazing how that works in tennis, but uh, it's just something that we roll with. And uh, speaking of, there's a lot of tennis going on aside from the clay Kitzbühel tournament that wrapped up today, Los Cabos hard court that'll wrap up tonight, and obviously Washington will wrap up tomorrow. We've got I believe four or five challengers going on. Uh, we've got a final, Jared, in a 125 in China. Randy Liu, who once took out Andy Roddick at Wimbledon against Yevgeny Donskoy, who beat Roger Federer in 2017. Yeah, Randy Liu still playing tennis, uh, still doing well, which is great to see. Obviously, yeah, as you mentioned, he's most famous for that uh, round of 16 win in 2010 against Andy Roddick. Um, I think that's what we'll always remember him for. I think he's a really fun player to watch, uh, just the smoothness with, with which he plays off the ground. And then also I think he has one of the highest ball tosses of anyone on the ATP. Um, maybe throw in someone like Burdick in there with him. Uh, but he tosses it just about as high as anyone, which I always think is funny when I watch him play. Yep, good call. And um, ab- absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more. And, yep, Lou, most notably mm-hmm. – known for that win over Roddick, as you mentioned, at Wimbledon. He also, Jared, before he really started playing ATP events, he, he, he's won a boatload of challenger tournaments in his, in his career. He, I think he holds the record for the most number of challenger wins. So he's back in his comfort zone, if you will, and we have seen him compete very well on the ATP Tour, but uh, the ranking not quite good enough to get in some of the events that he wants to, uh, to play in. And, Jared, you mentioned feels like 10 years ago, 2007 when Federer and Nadal were were ruling the roost, if you will, and Djokovic and Murray were making inroads but not quite there yet. And uh, here in Canada, number one seed, Rafael Nadal, number two, Roger Federer. Obviously, injuries to Djokovic, Murray, Valrenko contributing to that. But, um, yeah, this might be the case uh, for quite a bit going forward here uh, this year if, if these guys continue to remain on the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, this is kind of going to become the new normal, and so we get to enjoy this during uh, Canada because this is kind of what we can expect for the rest of 
2017. We mentioned uh, Murray being questionable for the year-end finals uh, as far as just even qualifying. Then you know we have Vavrinka and Djokovic are both out. And so I, I think that's going to be a really interesting tournament where we could see a lot of new faces there. Um, likely we'll have Raonic and Nishikori back. Um, but the battle for those other spots is going to be a lot of fun to see. Um, I think team will also be in there. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, the race to the end is going to be a lot of fun um, just because of how many open spots there are this year. Not only that, uh, a serious redistribution of points. Uh, Canada, obviously, Djokovic took home the lion's share winning that. Uh, Chilich again, we'll see if he does play since he Murray that as well. Those, that was the final. Then, obviously, the U.S. Open, Varenka Djokovic, both are, are not going to play. So uh, uh, that uh, a lot of guys are going to be losing points. Federer, you know, has all everything to gain going forward, and, and Nadal for the most part as well. And uh, speaking of Nadal, Jared, I uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, I saw Borna Cioric just destroy Rafael Nadal last year in Cincinnati. Nadal maybe not 100% at the same point in time. Borna Cioric playing very well, and unfortunately after that Nadal match, he had to retire in the second set against eventual champion Marin Cilic, but Borna Cioric was playing very well. Uh, do you think Borna Cioric has a possibility, if they do play in round two, of taking Nadal out again? Yeah, I mean, when you have a good matchup against someone, he's going to come in with belief. And a lot of times, people like Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Roger Federer beat players because their opponents have a lack of belief. That's not going to be the case here. Uh, Chorch is definitely coming in with that advantage. Also, these are quick courts, which I think is better for uh, Chorch than it is for Nadal. So I think those are two big things that are going to be working in the Croats' favor. And, uh, yeah, it's certainly possible. I think Nadal's coming in as the, as the huge favorite. Um, but, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens in this one. I I hope we get a chance to see it because it was uh, it was George was playing beautiful tennis last year again he took advantage of maybe not a 100% Rafael Nadal that said he did take the court and uh, George was playing well so that would be an intriguing match if we get it and Jared before we wrap up uh, you know you we talk about how difficult it is to, we talked about lucky losers getting in and winning tournaments but uh, you know that was a 500 this uh, and a 250. We've got a Masters 1000 leading into in, in, in Montreal, and the qualifying draw, two alternates, uh, two Canadians that I've never heard of, uh, took up spots in the qualifying draw as alternates because Montreal could not fill the draw for qualifying. I really find that hard to believe, again, with uh, almost a half a dozen challengers going on around the world um, this is a big money tournament. You win a couple matches at a Masters 1000, you're in a first round. Even if you win one match, uh, you're getting a pretty good payday compared to some of the challenger payouts of having to play all week and whatnot. Um, I still have to scratch my head that not just one alternate, but two at Masters 1000 Montreal. I, I, any thoughts on how this happens? Yeah, so, so part of the process for this is that they have you know, a list of players signed up, and everyone who doesn't reach um, the the point where you're high enough to qualify for the qualifying draw is considered an alternate. And then um, they usually leave a couple spots open to put in some wild cards. Um, so maybe some things fell through with those wild cards, and so they just slid in some alternates. Uh, maybe just a lot of players withdrew from the tournament at the last second. Um, you never really know. But obviously the qualifying draw here still very strong you have nine top 100 players in the qualifying draw 
um, but they are very spread out. So that means there's a lot of players who had a high enough ranking to get in and simply decided not to for one reason or another. Um, you know, a lot of players. We're, we're not talking about just a few here. So it is it is definitely interesting that people aren't wanting to go through qualifying at a 1,000. They'd rather um, go through a challenger tournament. And, you know, this is one of those events where if you win in the first round, you're picking up $4,000 and 16 ranking points. Um, mm-hmm. If you go play challengers and do qualifying there, you have to win three matches or you're going home with nothing. No money, no yeah. ranking points, nothing. Uh, three wins in a row just to even make your trip there worth it. Um, so I, I don't understand why guys wouldn't just go there, um, but everyone has their own reasons. And so uh, hard to know exactly what's going on there. Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. And you would think uh, just go there, as you said, and at the very least possibly be able to play some doubles and uh, make your trip worth it uh, in that way. And if you happen to catch a, a break, uh, possibly being an alternate and get in as a, by, by being there, by being present, then uh, that's gravy. But uh, good call. I like that analysis, Jared. And before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to add uh, about ATP tennis as we uh, head into Canada? Yeah, it's it's the U.S. Open swing, which is a lot of fun. Um, you mentioned about Randy Liu being uh, one of the best players in challenger history, and I think that says a little bit about the state of tennis in, in East Asia right now, where they do the ATP has made a point of trying to grow tennis in East Asia, which I think is a great thing. The problem right now, though, is there's a lot of challenger events there, and the best players from North America, from Europe, from South America – aren't going to those events. Those events are made up primarily of Chinese, Korean, and Australian players, and they're mm-hmm. just playing each other, picking up lots of ranking points without having to play the best players. And so there's a little bit of an imbalance in the rankings right now where you have a lot of those guys from Korea, China, and Australia who have inflated rankings. And so these guys are making their way into some uh, World Tour events and they're just getting destroyed there. And so that's one of the, the really interesting things that's happening right now in the ATP World Tour. Also, one, one thing I wanted to say earlier and just didn't uh, get get uh, get the words out was um, when we were talking about Tommy Paul, last week he had lost to Gilles Mueller, I think, 6-3, 6-1. It was just a beatdown. Um, it was a match where he had a couple opportunities to break early on, didn't take advantage, kind of lost heart and ended up losing. So it was really encouraging for me to see him then come back to D.C., has to play Jill Mueller again. This time it was an absolute battle, and Tommy Paul ended up coming away with a victory. And so uh, great to see just in the span of one week that much growth in, in a player. Um, I think that's something that's really encouraging for the future of Tommy Paul. No, that's wonderful observation. I agree to come back and and Jules Miller, obviously, who's had a very the best year of his career. Jared, uh, two titles, uh, a nice run at uh, Wimbledon as well, and so solid win for Tommy Paul again, coming back right away after uh, after being destroyed, as you mentioned, the prior week to to take him out. So good news, uh, and we'll keep our eyes on on Tommy Paul going forward. So once again, on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying we'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good day.